0: Well, after a short break, the Big D is back with a UFC 277 edition on the Big D podcast. Before I bring in Billy, please subscribe, like, and share the spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. you can see all my content getting back to work this week. Also, check out the uh, Big D podcast on Spotify and Apple. So, uh... In honor of me, the UFC decided to make a UFC 277 in Big D. That would be Dallas, Texas. So back for another UFC pay-per-view is uh, Billy Ward. Uh, Billy, congrats on your, on all your walks because I don't, I don't remember anybody walking as hard as you have. You've done baseball, MMA. At this rate, you're going to be doing cycling mm-hmm. next.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, football season is going to be a busy time until baseball ends. I'm now full time at Action Network. So, a lot of stuff coming, a lot of good content coming that way, especially on the MMA side, which, you know, for anyone who listens to the podcast when I'm on, knows MMA is clearly my biggest passion. So, the more good stuff I can put out in that area, the, the happier I'll be.
0: Well, uh, I bet you this weekend's main event will make you happy because we see one, we see. A rematch of one of the biggest, if not the biggest shocks in UFC history when Juliana Pena shocked Amanda Nunez last December. And thinking back to this fight, I'm still befuddled how Pena not just beat, but stunned the GOAT of women's MMA.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. So we've seen a couple of these immediate rematches after like a big title upset you know we saw matt sarah beat george st pierre way back in the day george is clearly better fighter comes back handles his business we saw chris weidman knock out anderson silva when he was taunting and dancing around they get a rematch that's when silva breaks his leg so who knows how that fight would have gone but it's interesting you know we've We've talked about it. All these long title reigns have to come to an end at some point, and fighters might get complacent, might not have that same fire and that spark that they had before. And, you know, they might just underestimate their opponent because coming into that fight, Pena was 2-2 and in her last four fights. Didn't really seem like she posed much of a threat to Nunez. Kind of seemed like we were all looking at Manon Fio being the next, like, legitimate challenger to Nunez. Then all of a sudden, Pena comes out and does really, really well. So this is a super tough fight for me on, like, a DFS and handicapping side because you're getting Nunes at a way, way better price at minus 275 than we saw her last time. But is she going to have that fire back? Is is it just a fluke that she lost that first time? Or is she going to come in and think she's just going to roll through Pena again? Or did she actually lose a step? You know, she has a daughter now. She's married. I can speak from experience that some of that real-life stuff really takes the edge off as an MMA fighter. And Pena seems hungry and motivated. You know, if both of these two are on their A-game, I think it's Nunez pretty easily, but I'm also not all that confident that we ever see Nunez at her peak again.
0: You know, could part of Nunez's problem be she's getting up in age and you reach a certain point in your career when you great and then you fall just a little bit and you get a hungry fighter having that one great night. Think of busted Douglas against Mike Tyson. I mean, sure, boxing, but... Buster Douglas had that one great night in Tokyo. Could that have been Pena's one shining night, or is all was all is Nunez's reign over? As yeah, I case. mean
1: that—that's the interesting question. And you know, chronologically, she's not all that old. She's basically a year older than Pena. Nunez is basically a year older, I should say. So I don't think we're at the point where her body is aged to the point that her skills are physically declining just from a pure physical standpoint. From a mental standpoint, though, you're right. You know, when you're the champion, especially a long running champion, you're fighting everyone's a game night in and fight in and fight out. Everyone is bringing their best against you. Just you can't have your best every single time. That's not how it works. So if you happen to slip up a little bit when someone else is at the top of their game, that's going to be a problem. You know, I think Nunez is likelier than not to just still be such a better fighter than Pena when she's at her peak, that I think she'll be motivated enough after the loss to get back there. And I think her head will be in the right space. And, you know, her, her training camp had been thrown off before the last one, leaving American top team. Just had a kid, as I mentioned. There's a lot going on. I think it's likelier than not that she's back at her peak. Not that old. Hasn't taken a ton of damage. I think, you know, we probably see her regain the belt. Maybe they do a trilogy. I don't know. But I think we got a few more years of Nunez being at the top. But I'm not confident enough to lay minus 275, and looking at these DraftKings salary, at least from a tournament standpoint, I don't know if I'm confident enough in that to pay the 9,200 for Nunez either. Of course, for cash games, female MMA fight, just play both of them. Don't even think about it. But from a tournament standpoint, 9,200 is a lot. If she slips a little bit, that could be a good opportunity to catch a lot of the field on a high-priced player that bombs. Especially because
0: Nunes isn't really known as a knockout order. She's known as a submission decision fighter. And we've seen women f- fighters, particularly older women fights. Guess what? They get, guess what? A lot of those fights, except when we pick the
1: $6,900 fighter, <laughs> go to decisions. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have those lines up yet. I think this one is probably a lot likelier than most WMMA fights to end inside the distance. Both have great submission skills and Nunez doesn't have huge power by like men's MMA standard, but her knockdown rate is actually slightly above the overall UFC average, which obviously puts it way above the female average. So she certainly has some power. I don't think it's out of the equation. I think, you know, if we're getting into the fourth, fifth round and they have both landed a ton of shots, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see someone get a stoppage. But, you know, I'm with you. I don't know if it comes quick enough or violently enough that she can pay off that salary, especially with all the bangers we have on this card. Because, man, looking up and down, there's a ton of people who bring a ton of violence on this one. I think we're going to see some bigger drafting scores than usual at the top of most contests.
0: Thank goodness, because the first half of the London call looked like a decision fight. I'm like, where the heck are the knockout orders? And then they all came. And then the main event lasted no time because – Because the one guy was hurt literally when the fight started.
1: Yeah, 15 seconds on Aspinall. I will say, just to digress a little bit here, just another reason why for cash games, you just play both main event fighters when there's only five-round fights. I was getting dusted in cash games, but only like 40-some percent of the people had blades. He had the highest score on the night because of the quick win bonus. I instantly vaulted past all of them, cashed every cash game. Like, you can cover up a lot of mistakes by doing that. You know, we're going to talk about this when we get to the co event. It's a little bit trickier when there's multiple five-round fights. But for anyone who's listening who plays UFC, DFS, Cash, which is, I know, a very small group, just play both five-round fighters when there's only one. Like, every time I've not done that, it's came back to haunt me. So, yeah, just my little rant for the day.
0: I think back to that UFC light, uh, white white light heavyweight of fight where literally both guys put
1: up a million points and I'm like, oh, no. And guess who didn't play both of them on the biggest contest of his life because he was in a qualifier for uh, the championship? <laughs> Me. I thought the other one was going to be the better one to stack. And that was one, you know, I guess this will be a good transition to our co-main, but that was one where playing all four fighters in the two five-round fights, because it was Shevchenko, Santos on that one as well, they all put up good scores. You know, In a, in a cash game, we don't need the best score from everyone. We just need solid scores. And I think this is probably another good opportunity to do that with Car France and Moreno. Both guys throw a ton of volume. Both guys can wrestle a little bit more so Moreno than Car France and both have good power. You know, I think we see a ton of strikes in this one. Um, and if it goes deep enough, we're going to see good scores from both guys. And there's just so much more activity at flyweight than some of the heavier divisions as well. But I'll let you set that fight up. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead of myself here.
0: No, that's okay because we've got, not just one title rematch, we've got another title rematch in the uh, Flyweight division where these two guys fought in uh, 2019. So, uh, what do you think happens in the co main event between uh, Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France? I mean, what's with, all the, what's with all these fighters from Australia and New Zealand doing well in the USC lately? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, a couple points before I get to breaking down the fight a little bit. I'm going to stop you there and calling this a title fight. I don't care what Uncle Dana says. Davison Figueredo's been out of action for like four months. We don't need an interim title every time somebody takes a couple weeks off a of training camp, guys. Like, this is not a title fight. It's a five-round fight. They're going to put some gold thing around the winner's waist. I don't care. Davison Figueredo's the 125-pound champ until proven otherwise. So yeah, that's, that's my first rant. Uh, second one. Yeah. I've noticed that too lately. I think like 5% of the adult males in Australia must be in the UFC at this point. Just, they're just turning them out like crazy. And it's not, you know, that populated of a place. It's not like it's China or something. So I don't know what's going on or what's in the water down there, but, but it's a good point. You know, Cara France is another product of city kickboxing and these guys are just dominating. They've got Adesanya, they've got Vulcan Aussie, They've got the potential to add a third, Champion in air quotes with Cara France tonight. And you know, he's taken on Brandon Moreno, who's fought Davison Figueredo three straight times with a win, a loss, and a draw in there. And you know, I've I've been impressed by Moreno, but I'm not quite sure in this one what we can say he's clearly much better at than Cara France. You know, Cara France just fought Askar Askar or, you know, one of the Eastern European grapplers, another stereotype we see in the UFC, didn't get taken down too many times, clearly outstruck him. Car France has huge power for 125-er. His knockdown rate is 0.27 per round, with the UFC average being about 0.1. So, you know, fighting in the smallest weight class, he gets almost three times as many knockdowns as the average UFC fighter. That's huge. And, you know, it only takes one from him. We've seen him put people's lights out pretty quick. I get why Moreno's favored. You know, he's probably a little bit, Better technical fighter in all areas. I just don't know if he can avoid that big shot from Cara France for five straight rounds. So, right now we're seeing Moreno minus 205, Cara France 175 or so, depending on the book. And car France is cheap for uh, DFS. He's only 7,300 with Moreno coming in at 89. I really don't like Moreno as a DFS play because even some of his wins or a GPP play, even some of his wins haven't been super impressive. You know, he didn't get 200 points in his win against Figueroa. He had a decision wins against Juicy Formiga, who's, and he only scored 67 points. He just doesn't have that upside that Cara France have, where if Cara France wins, he either probably has a ton of strikes or a big knockout. So from a GPP standpoint, all over Cara France this week, I definitely want to be overweight in the field. From Cash, you know, as I was saying before, I think this is one where we probably play all four of those fighters. There's enough uncertainty in the main event. And this one, just the activity rate should be pretty high. If Moreno is finding takedowns, I think he should go back to that well. I think Cara France will be able to get back up, which gives him more chances for takedowns. And I also think both guys are going to throw with a ton of volume. So this is one where I would not be shocked to see 150 plus combined points between the two fighters, which the salaries we're getting, that's obviously something that we want.
0: How much do you look back to that 2019 fight where even a marina won he didn't put up a lot of points he only put a what is that 66 points now two it was a three-round fight but he didn't but he only landed 91 significant strikes so if you put that over five rounds
1: that would be Well, 150, so, I mean... It'd be about 100 points if you project that out to five rounds, but there's there's a couple issues with doing that. One, you know, the amount of volume and activity I can do in the first round is going to be a lot different than in the fifth. Like, these are human beings that get tired, right? Like, it's not that easy to just keep that pace up for 25 minutes. But also, you know, both fighters have progressed since then. I think, obviously, we saw Brandon Moreno win a title by shocking... uh, Davis and figueredo care france has he lost one more time since then, but is on a three fight winning streak coming into that so i don't think it's fair to say that these relatively young guys are the same fighters that they were and we look at trends you know the the younger fighter and the fighter who won the previous fight has advantages even relative to betting odds in rematches but moreno's like less than a year younger so i don't think that's a big thing here you know it wasn't like a dominant performance the first time i don't believe I'm looking at it right yeah he didn't land or attempt any takedowns the striking was pretty close Cara France outstruck him in the first round and then Moreno outstruck in the second and third but every round was within five or six significant strikes you know it wasn't like he just starched him being my point on this it was a fairly close fight so from a betting standpoint you know I if anything I might say Cara France has made bigger strides since then than Moreno has and to get a guy at plus 175 plus 185 in there who it was basically a toss-up in the first fight. I, I like that a little bit more than going with the favorite. You know, you mentioned you thought someone might not be 100% coming in. Tell me more about that. I want to hear these rumors because you're ahead of me. on. on
0: I've, I've heard there's like an injury replacement potential for this fight. I don't know who it is, but uh, hopefully we see a fight because it seems like uh, once a month we get so many WDs being for one of these fights so uh, hopefully we see this rematch in uh dallas but you don't
1: know which guy i have no idea who, so guy. it could just be that sometimes they just have a backup fighter on hand even if there's no no particular reason to be worried about that
0: it might be because it's a title and an interim title fight So i forgot to mention interim Hunt flyweight belt
1: Yeah, so I don't know. I'm not putting too much stock in that unless I hear otherwise, but yeah, you know, I'm trying to find the odds on their first fight. That would be interesting to see how that's changed since then. Give me two seconds on that one, because I don't think anything... Yeah, so Cara France was favored at minus 165. I don't think I saw enough in that fight to flip the odds that hard. You know, I'm not saying I think Cara France should be favored here, but I think the odds are a little bit long on them. And, you know, I'm going to do a shameless plug here, but Listening on the Action Network sports betting podcast on Friday, I'll probably have a little bit more advanced thoughts on that by that time. But my early leanings as of Tuesday morning are Care France is a pretty good value, both from a DFS and a betting standpoint.
0: So, like when Charles Oliveira, quote unquote, won when he was one pound overweight and didn't get to keep his belt, was, does that mean they're going to need an interim?
1: lightweight belt or will he get a chance to reclaim his belt no they've they've announced that one I thought that was a little bit silly but that wasn't just like the UFC making random decisions the way that the UFC likes to do that was a um, boxing commission or athletic commission decision but he's fighting Islam Makachev for the title it's technically listed as a vacant title but you know to quote Chucky Olives himself the champion has a name it's Charles Oliveira and I will hear nothing other than that until after that fight
0: and if Oliveira <laughs> wins that fight, then we get a super fight between Oliveira and Alex Volk and Elsie, which I can't wait to see.
1: Maybe, but then, you know, if we do that, now are we talking an interim fight at um, featherweight as well, or interim title fight at featherweight as well, probably Rodriguez and Emmett. I mean, that kind of makes sense, but can fights just be for the number one contendership? Like, why do we have to call it a title fight? You know, like throw it as throw it as the main event on a fight night or a UFC on ABC card, something like that. That way we can still make it five rounds. Let it be for number one contender. I don't know. I just don't think we need 14 champions and 10 weight classes or whatever at any given moment. But that's just me.
0: OK, so uh, what fight are you looking forward to seeing out of the main event or co-main event on Saturday
1: night? Man, there's there's a ton. This actually looks like a really fun card. We just got a lot of like super violent guys. You know, the obvious one is Derek Lewis back at home in Texas fighting Sergey Pavlovich. You know, I don't I don't know where we're really at with Derek Lewis. We've seen him get two or close to title fights a couple times. Hasn't really worked for him. But pretty much everyone below that level, he pulls off shocking upsets and knocks them the hell out. You know, he knocked out Alexia Linick. who was supposed to lose that fight. That was when he gave the great speech, I believe. It might have been the prior Russian monster he fought before that because all they do is put him against these up-and-coming Russian monsters. Derek Lewis comes in kind of chubby, looks all sloppy, not super technical, but he throws, throws those hands and uh, eventually finds one and knocks people out. But Pavlovich looks scary. You know, this looks like a real test for him. I think he's got a little bit more of a well-rounded game you know, five inches in reach advantage, clearly in much better shape visually if you look at both of these men. So that one's super interesting. I'm not, I don't have a strong take on who I think is going to win it yet. I do not think we spend a lot of time on this fight. I think this one sorts itself out in the first couple of minutes with somebody landing a big knockout or potentially Pavlovich getting him to the ground and finding a submission because he's got pretty good ground game as well.
0: Let's just say this. Derek Lewis is... Last five fights have all ended one way. Knockout, either
1: either he's right.
0: knocking out somebody or Lewis is on the canvas.
1: So uh well and it's it's crazy too because there's there's another fighter who fits his profile really similarly, kind of a not visually in shape guy, frequently feels like he has no business winning a fight and then pulls a knockout out of nowhere. And that's tied to Ivasa. So when they fought each other, I had no idea what to think. Like I logic would dictate in looking at pretty much everything about both of them that they should have lost a lot more fights than they have, but both these guys just they've got that power. And as a heavyweight, sometimes that's all you need. The guy who can turn off the lights with one punch frequently finds a way to do so. But you know, Pavlovich has a lot of that himself. You know, he's got a first round knockout in three straight fights, you know, other than his UFC debut against Alistair Overeem, all of his fights have been first round knockouts in his favor. Of course, like the level of competition for Pavlovich is a lot lower. Lewis has brought, fought pretty much everyone. He's fought Curtis Blades, Francis Ngannou, Cyril Gan, Tai Ivasa. So, you know, it's a big step up for the Russian. Other than, again, when he fought over, like who has to make their USA debut against over? And that's ridiculous. Like what a what a tough situation to be in. But he's looked great outside of that. So super exciting fighter. That's one from a DFS standpoint. Just going to go to my Fantasy Labs optimizer. I'm going to tell it. I want one of these guys in every fight. I don't care which one. Let's see what happens.
0: Let me guess. Let me guess. On your Fantasy Labs article this weekend, that's going to be the swing fight. Because generally, whoever wins this fight is going to be a GPP winner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this one, not only is it the likeliest to end in 12 seconds out of all the fights on the card, but it's also the betting lines are pretty even. Like I've seen it bounce around a little bit since I started looking, but right now DraftKings has it minus 110 both ways. I'm seeing Pavlovich a slight favorite, a couple other places. FanDuel has it a toss up. So, you know, I like to target those closer fights, but also the fights that are likely to end early and produce a big score for somebody. And that is both of these this time. So that's an easy choice.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing on uh, bets. Fight odds at Pavlovich is uh, minus one twenty-five. Lewis plus one hundred five. But all the all the numbers are pretty well close, so it's uh, pretty like, yeah. right. But I'll tell you this: we don't have some of the prop bets. I wonder what the bet. I wonder what the odds would be for. A stoppage, whether it be a kick, knockout,
1: or submission. I bet you they're going to be juiced up. One of the offshores has it has it. You ready for it? Minus six hundred to end inside the distance, and minus one forty-five under one and a half. So you know, what you're not you're not sneaking that by anyone trying to bet that this fight doesn't go fifteen minutes. But you know, probably not one that I'm willing to lay that kind of juice on, just because every now and then with the big boys we see them empty the tank early and get tired. But still. So, yeah, it's plus 400 to go to a decision, minus 600 to not do that. Which I'm sure will be the longest odds on the card for a stoppage, uh, Yeah.
0: So, uh, before we talk about a favorite catch plays, I wanted to mention, what kind of shape do you think the UFC is as a whole? Because we've seen so many great fighters come of age. We've seen... We've seen like Alice Volkanovski, Charles Alvarez. How do you think the UFC is failing? Because to me, it seems like the UFC just sort of stalled. But the last couple of years, I see, think the UFC has regained its glory. We're fighting during the pandemic and now having so many cards, going to London, going to Paris, going all over the world again. It seems like the UFC is the... From your sport for people who like a little bit of violence.
1: Yeah, you know, so a couple points to that. It seemed like you know, in like the early days of the Ultimate Fighter, like the the late aughts or whatever. And that when I was getting into the sport, you know, I couldn't walk around my high school or anything without people wanting to talk about that. And it definitely faded for a while. You know, they got some stars for a while. Those guys kind of aged out. It seemed like you know, maybe the UFC was just a flash in the pan. But, you know, they did big shows every once in a while for, you know, a few years in there. It's kind of like nobody talked about it outside of Conor McGregor fights. But, yeah, I think you're absolutely right in that when the pandemic was going, you know, they went and built an island pretty much. So they could be the only game in town, you know, and with sports betting getting so big, all of a sudden now there's only one sport you can bet on outside of like video games and Korean ping pong and stuff like that. So <laughs> I think the combination of, you know, sports betting and fantasy sports being big, and then the pandemic leaving the UFC as the only show in town was huge. Like, it, it was great for me as someone, you know, producing content around that, because there's just so many more eyeballs on what we were doing on that side, where a year or two before that, no one really cared. It was a niche sport is, you know, probably on the level of like NASCAR or F1, you know, where it had its fans, but it wasn't something kind of in the public discourse where they've done a really good job of putting on enough exciting fights and you know building a fan base during that time when they had all the eyeballs that now they're just rolling and i think they said you know 2021 was the most profitable year ever not to get too deep into this but obviously more of that money should go to the fighters because it wouldn't be happening without them but if you're the ufc you go hey no one fighter stops the show here like they lost mcgregor Basically, you know, more or less haven't had McGregor consistently for three or four years now and are doing just as much revenue as they did even with him. So they've proven that people are going to come out for those three letters without needing to really build stars who are standout stars on their own right. And, you know, these other organizations have tried to challenge them on that. And so far, you know, the only way to be profitable is to kind of market yourself as a secondary league to the UFC. The way Bellator and PFL has, where they're not directly competing for top talent, they're saying, "Hey, we're going to put on some entertaining fights, it's kind of like college football, you know, where we know it's not the best guys, but it can still be fun in its own right." And we're not going to go head to head with the big leagues.
0: Yeah, and also, and also, you get people with still for entertainment. They they want to see, right actually, they want to see a man in the earth. They want to see Ellis, folk Alves, get all federal, all these guys. All these men and women fight, fight, get big-time performances and earn the cheers
1: and applause. And they've just done such a good job where it doesn't need to be a man to Nunes, right? It could be whoever the name is, and people are still going to tune in. That, I think that's where they've done a much better job than boxing, where boxing is really heavily dependent on the name on top of the card, where the UFC, you know there's going to be, you know, 11 to 15 fights in a night and probably some good ones in there so it doesn't have to be just because i've heard of this guy it's like hey we'll watch the ufc fights probably something awesome is going to happen at some point on the card even if it's two people we haven't heard of so they've really made it about you know the ufc rather than any individual fighter which for the fighter's sake is not ideal but if you're the ufc that's perfect
0: so from a DK standpoint, uh, been, what is going to be your cash strategy? Because to me, I, I really want to jam in all four of the uh, title fighters. But how do you go with the rest of your lineup? Because there are a couple of guys I really like in the ninety-four and $9,500 $9, range with Morales and uh, Ak- Akaliyev. And Kaliyev. I love those Russian names. They
1: always annoy the crap out of me. So yeah, um, real quick on, on that top end, I'm not sold on Inkolyev being a good play today. He's or er, today this week, his last three fights he hasn't gone over 82 points on DraftKings, and he's kind of reserved himself to like. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to make sure I win this fight. I'm not going to put myself out there. And Anthony Smith is real dangerous on the ground. So I think if alive gets takedowns, he's not going to be overextending trying to hit him too hard or you know, beat him up with crown and pound. I think it's going to be more of a slower control-based strategy, kind of like we saw against Tiago Santos, which five-round fight only scored 80 points. Morales, on the other hand, ton of volume, ton of activity. You know, only seen one UFC fight from him, but he was throwing caution to the wind, came out super aggressively he fought traven giles in his first fight which is honestly probably a tougher opponent than he has this time so i think morales is a great play but then if you're playing those four fighters like we talked about then you got to find somebody stupid cheap to make that lineup work so i'm not 100 percent sure that i'm going to play all four of the top fighters i think if i was going to leave anyone out it maybe be Pena. i don't really have a strong take on that fight though and that doesn't really help the salary situation so Little early for me on that side, but yeah, I think finding someone on the cheaper end that you can pair with Morales if you want all four fighters, or go two of the people more in the middle range would be a good strategy too. Yeah, because because we've, I
0: uh, I really want to try and get all four tighter fighters because it'd be weird to have like 180 points and then like everybody's like 300. And I'm like, well, I've got all four fighters left and you've got two.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's tough because either like they both have reasonable shots of ending early. Like, Cara France has good power, and so does Juliana Juliana Nunez. In that fight, both girls have some or both women have some submission ability. So it's not, you know, a lock that all four of them end up as good plays, but it's definitely something to consider. But it does make the rest of your lineups challenging if you want an expensive fighter. Yep. And uh,
0: but, uh, it is only Tuesday, so we've got some time
1: between now and Saturday night. So,
0: thank you. Real quick, um,
1: I was gonna say not so much for uh, cash games, but from a GPP standpoint, Blood Diamond is having a second fight, and he looked real bad against Jeremiah Wells in his first fight. But Jeremiah Wells is like legit one of the handful of best grapplers in the UFC, and that is not so much the case when he's fighting a Ryan Koske. So, on the cheaper end, you know, from a tournament standpoint, I think there's some good options out there. I'm not quite sure who it's gonna be from a cash game standpoint, but yeah, everyone tune in. My article usually comes out Friday afternoon over at fantasy labs. The article is free. The projections are behind the paywall, but you can definitely at least get a glimpse on, I usually try to find that one cheap fighter that I use for cash games. So he or she will, but certainly be highlighted.
0: Yeah. And hopefully that fighter will last longer than your, than your chief fighter did
1: last week. Yeah. It didn't always work out for me, but Hey, I still cashed all my contests. so I'm counting it as a win. Yeah.
0: So Thanks for hopping on, Billy. Wish, wish you well. Hopefully, uh, things go well this week. And By the way, this—by the way, if you're a big-time UFC fan, this is the last week of the UFC DraftKings World Championship. So a lot of money is going to be at stake in a big D on a Saturday night. All right. Thanks, Dylan. Pleasure as always.